Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we worship your holy name. We pray that our souls would somehow bless you, that our souls so many times have uh, reflected uh, darkness in this world and have, have in a way shamed you. And so God, today we pray that uh, through the power and the miracle of your Holy Spirit, our souls would shine today. Our souls would do something that um, feels so contrary to what we are normal or normally accustomed to, that we would bless you and, and love you. And pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Please have a seat. Now, today is third grade Bible Sunday. And at the end of worship, we have all the third graders and their, maybe their third grade parents coming into worship. So they're all over in traditional worship right now. Um, and we, uh, we really love the third grade Bible Sunday tradition. So it's kind of exciting. All the third graders will come in here and they will read uh, scripture together. And uh, yeah, give them a high five and tell them congratulations. It was really fun to go up to those third graders and say how proud I was of them. And you could tell that it really meant a lot to them. And I, I recommend that you do the same thing. Walk up to them and tell them, hey, you know, I'm really proud of you. Uh, this is a big moment in your life. Um, what we've learned through this series is that, uh, and Reverend O'Grady has said it over and over again, uh, words tend to create reality. Isn't that true? T- words tend to create the reality that we live in. And so when you, um, when you build them up and you lift them up, um, you're creating young leaders. You're creating young followers of Christ. You're sowing the seeds of passion in their faith. And so I encourage you to do that today uh, in between their shooting the basketball out there on the courtyard. So today, uh, today is the fourth message that we've done in the book of James. And I don't know about you, Jason, but I, I was not looking forward to the book of James uh, series, and it has actually been one of the most meaningful series that I've done. Uh, the sermon that you did last week was unbelievable, um, and um, I just prayed that God would continue speaking to us through the book of James today. Um, and instead of just looking at the text today, I felt that it would be good for us before next week is our last sermon on the book of James, for us to just kind of do a synopsis or to try to uncover what is the larger story of what James is saying to this group of people in scripture. And so our series is called Just Keep Faith. Sounds like a simple thing, but you'll notice on the series title, it also has on the front of your bulletins a picture of someone carrying a cross. It's not that easy all the time to just keep faith. And that's what we're going to find out in today's scripture. So listen to the word of God as it is given to us through the Apostle James in the book of James. Chapter 3, verse 13 through chapter 4, verse 3. This is the word of the Lord. Listen. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with a gentleness born of wisdom. And if you are full of bitter envy and selfish in ambition, and if you have that in your hearts, do not be false to the truth or boastful. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and devilish. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. 
But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, and without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Now those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? Do they not come from your cravings that are at war within you? You want something and you do not have it. So you commit murder. You covet something and cannot obtain it. So you engage in disputes and conflicts. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you do not receive because you, do, you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Amen. Now, there's no getting around it. The book of James is clearly written to a community of people who are in conflicted relationships. It's, it's an understatement to say that these people are having a hard time loving one another. In fact, James says that these people are engaged in disputes and conflicts with one another and with the world around them. Now, as over the past two months, I have obsessively read and reread James to try to uncover the meaning behind what James is saying. I've been reminded of a time in my life when uh, I was a kid in elementary school, and I got into my first and my only ever playground fight. And I believe it was fifth grade. I'm not sure of the year, but I do remember the name of the kid. Are you guys like that? <laughs> the kid's name was Brad Smith, and he's not in this state. I realize there's probably five Brad Smiths in this room. But his name was Brad Smith. And I have no idea what we were arguing about or what the conflict was. But, but clearly something snapped. And, and let me just add to this story, because it's true. Brad Smith was the tallest kid in our class. He was also the biggest kid in our class and the most athletic kid in our class. Let me be honest, I was not the tallest kid. I was not the most athletic kid in our class. And, um, and as a result of this conflict that we had on, a, on the playground, the kids in class started to whisper that the two of us were going to have a fist fight on the playground after school. And I don't know if he came up with this idea or if just some other kid decided to start saying this. But as a result, remember I talked about how words become, create reality? Oh my goodness, did I ever discover this. And as the clock ticked closer to three o'clock, I think that's when we were let out of school then. Uh, I just kept thinking, is this really happening? Is, is this what's happened? And then I found myself at the side of the school with Brad and... We were there after school, and the side of the school was the place where the parents couldn't see us, and it was this place where the teachers couldn't see us, but all the kids knew exactly where we were. And so they all circled around us, and they started to egg us on, saying, go, 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 and they chose sides. Like, I don't know if they were betting or what were they doing, like, <laughs> like taking bets on who they thought was going to win. They were having fun. They thought it was a great time. And I remember that we had our fists up like this, and, and I'm, I know I don't look that macho now, but hopefully I look a little better than I did then. But still, I was, we were circling each other, doing what we thought people did when they were going to fight. 
And I remember uh, just thinking in my head as we were about to do this and it became more and more real. uh, Is this really happening? Am I about to fight the biggest kid in class? This is crazy. Oh, well, let's do it. And uh, and I remember just getting down into this position. It was just kind of like a little bit more like resolved. I like to call it my eye of the tiger position. Do you know that one? Just like, here's the eye of the tiger, buddy. I don't know what's going to happen. And at that moment, something, something happened that was like a blessing from God. Brad turned and he looked out to the parking lot. And then he turned to all of us and he said something that was like the sweetest thing my little ears had ever heard. He said, my mom's here. I got to go. And he ran away. <laughs> And all the kids were cheering, cheering me on and said, man, you stood up to the biggest kid in class. Look what you did. You're so tough. And actually, I've told this story a lot because I don't have a lot of stories where I win. <laughs> so this is like the only one. And, and I, I stretch it out, as you can tell. I like to just drag it way out. So you just get right inside of that space. And, and I actually thought I won all these years. I thought I won until this last week when I was reading the book of James. And I realized that the day that Brad stepped down from that fight and the day that he stepped away from that conflict that had somehow infected our little playground, our perfect little place on the face of the earth, the day that he did that, the result was a ripple of peace that extended beyond just the two of us. But it extended to our teachers and to our families and it extended to our siblings and our classmates. You know, I can look back on that moment and I can honestly say that Brad did the harder thing that day when he stepped away from the fight. And I can see that God was working in that moment because I don't know what kind of pain I would have experienced had that fight gone forward. Uh, Definitely wouldn't have had anything to talk about at parties for the past 30 years. This... Scripture, when we lean into it, the whole scripture, we discover by looking at the beginning that for some confusing reason, humanity has assumed a battle stance with God. For some confusing, unexplainable reason, people have had their fists up toward God, the God who created them and gives them life, the God who loves them. Why have we done this? In fact, people have gone so far as to insult God and to provoke God and to trash talk God. It's as though we've lived our entire lives with our fists up toward God. But what God did next changed humanity forever. It changed the world for all of humanity. God came to meet us on the playground of life in the form of Jesus Christ. And what I'm about to say to you right now in this sentence, I think could be the most important thing you hear today. Maybe it's the most important thing you're going to hear all week or all month. Jesus did not come to fight us. Say that again with me. Jesus did not come to fight us. Jesus came to love us. Jesus came to befriend us. Jesus came to walk alongside us. Jesus came to, so that we would receive God's love fully and so that we would live in love. 
And yet we did what is unthinkable. We then set out in our lives to start to destroy Jesus. To take apart Jesus piece by piece. We insulted Jesus. We wounded Jesus. We judged Jesus wrongly. And then we murdered Jesus. And in some twisted way, we thought that we had won this battle with Jesus. That we had proven that love isn't real, that probably God isn't even real. This whole thing is a sham and and there is no hope and there is no future. And we damaged the one chance that we had for rescuing us from this cycle of violence and hurting one another. And hurting and offending God. But then something surprising happened. Jesus didn't destroy us. Jesus destroyed the enemy. Jesus destroyed darkness. Jesus destroyed death. And he came back and he showed us his hands. But he did not show us his hands and fists. Because Jesus could easily have destroyed us at that point. No. He showed us the holes in his hands. To remind us that what we had done was real. To remind us that the pain that we had inflicted on God was real pain. And every time we inflict pain on one another, it's inflicting pain on God. He wanted us to know that. He wanted us to be reminded deeply of this. And he opened his hands and he showed us his hands and he opened us his arms. And he welcomed us with an embrace. He beckoned us forward to embrace us and to love us. Do you know what that's called? That's called mercy. That's the fullness of God's mercy. Why? See, mercy causes you to ask this question. Why would God do this? When God could clearly destroy us. God could clearly just take care of all of the wrong by punishing us for all of the things that we've done wrong. Correct? But why would he choose not to punish us? You see, it's so much easier in the world to think that if someone does something wrong, that they should be punished for it and that we should exact the punishment on them or that even God should exact the punishment on them. That's so much more understandable, isn't it? Isn't it easier to live with that way, to think that that's the way that the world should work? But that's not what we get in Scripture. That's not what God provides us with. God provides us with a model of mercy. A model of embracing people, even in the midst of their darkness and their pain and, the, and, and drawing people together and lifting each other up. You see, the people that James is speaking to in Scripture, they have become a very judgmental people. If you look through the Scripture of James, you discover that they're very judgmental. They're judging people on each other and they're judging the world. Remember we talked about how they were judging people last week about how they were judging people, or two weeks ago, the rich and the poor. And the poor, dirty people, they judged them. Remember that? That was just an example of the way in which they had become judgmental. But listen to this. This is the words from James chapter 4, verse 11. He says these words. And read it for yourself. It's the, I, I, I like to think of James as the five pages of Scripture that I never wanted to be there, but I'm so glad are. Just five pages. That's all it is. And it will, sh- it will shake your world if you let those five pages just to marinate in your heart. This is what James says. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. 
Whoever speaks evil against another or judges another speaks evil against the law and judges the law. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. So who then are you to judge your neighbor? Now, who do you think is the one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy? Anyone? Who is that one judge? God, Jesus Christ. Absolutely. That's the one lawgiver. And then James repeats after he says that, by the way, only Jesus Christ is to judge others. Then he says, who then are you to judge your neighbor? Crazy. You know, all these scriptures come from the lectionary. Did you know that all the, all the verses that we preach on Sunday come from a book of, of scriptures that have been chosen like 300 years ago? And millions of other churches are, are preaching on this same text today. I imagine, wow, millions of other churches are preaching on this text today. Can you imagine, as, as you're hearing this message, and if it's impacting you as it's impacting me, I would suggest that you just pray for those millions of other people who are hearing this same message and who really need to hear it. Who then are you to judge your neighbor? There's only one judge, Jesus Christ. You can only really understand James if you understand where Jesus is coming from, understand where James is coming from. If you acknowledge his premise that all people, everybody has done wrong against God. Everybody has done wrong against their neighbor. Everybody has fallen far short. This is a common understanding in scripture and it's one that all Christians have held in common. That we human beings have desecrated and destroyed our human bodies and our hearts, and our relationships with God, and we have desecrated and destroyed our relationships with one another and with the people around us. That is the premise that James builds all of his understanding of who God is upon. When we get to a place of humbleness, the place of humbleness begins when we recognize that we're all convicts. That in the courtroom of life, we're all sitting there waiting for our sentence. Every single one of us. Now, the problem is when we decide to step up and we, we step up. Imagine if you're in a courtroom and a guy in an orange jumpsuit decides to step up and start being the judge. <laughs> You'd be like, uh, hey, buddy, uh, I don't think you're supposed to sit there. You could get in a lot of trouble for that. And uh, no, 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 you're in an orange jumpsuit. So this is the scene. We're all in the orange jumpsuits and only Jesus Christ is in, in, in the judge's box. And when you get to that position and you recognize that, that, that you deserve punishment, that, that if you go through that long list of the things that you've done or the things that you haven't done in your life, you, you recognize, okay, I deserve, I deserve some serious jail time for what I've done. Even you. I, no. <laughs> it's like, what the heck? Okay. So, um, but you're listening really good. I want, I, you're amazing. Okay. So, If everybody smiled at me like you're smiling at me, I would just be full of so much joy. I just have to say, you guys just need to learn from this guy. He's smiling. It's so wonderful. It's filling my heart. Ah. But how confusing is it that James is willing to embrace us? Or sorry, Jesus is willing to embrace us. Jesus welcomes us forward. He welcomes us into his family and he exonerates us. He says, you're free. You're forgiven. That's the mercy of God. James wants his readers and listeners and hearers to hear the full gospel. James tells them these words. Now listen to this scripture. 
You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We started with this Scripture three or four weeks ago. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Remember, notice how different that is. You shall love your neighbor as yourself rather than who are you then to judge your neighbor, right? Those are totally different things. Who then are you to judge your neighbor? No. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. but, But he goes deeper with this. But if you show partiality, you commit sin. Notice the person stepping in the judge's box. And are convicted by the law as transgressors. You become guilty. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery but you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Right? I mean, we'd agree with that, right? The guy's like, hey, I haven't stolen anything. I know I murdered four people, but I didn't steal anything. So am I okay? No, no, you're not okay. This is not a good situation. So speak and so act, says James, that as those who are to be judged, who are to, to be judged by the law of liberty. And now this is important. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let me repeat that. For judgment will be without mercy to those who have shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What James is saying is it's critically important that we show mercy to one another. It is so vitally important in our relationship to God and relationship to one another that we show mercy. That we essentially, instead of lifting up our fists to one another, we lower our fists and we embrace one another. James is not saying this is all, well, maybe it's okay. You can if you want. You You don't have to show mercy. No, we have to show mercy. What does that look like? What does it look like for Jesus? Take your fists like this. Think about that person that you're angry with, that person that you're having that difficult time with. You can close your eyes if you need to, because I hope it's not me. But And recognize, be honest. This is the position that you've had with them. Put your fists like this. This is a little spiritual exercise. This is the posture, if you're honest, that you've had with regard to someone, and especially with regard to God. And then remember what Jesus did. And look at your hands as they open up. And recognize that there are wounds in those hands. There are wounds. There's real stuff that's happened there. There's pain that's happened. There's hurt that's happened. But still, you're called by God to open up those arms and to welcome people as Jesus did. And to beckon them forward into an embrace that's called mercy in all the fullness of mercy. James goes on to say in the scripture that we read today, the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. Wow, peaceable. Wisdom is peaceable. It's gentle. Think about that that difficulty or that person or that, that political party or whatever it is you're having your difficulty with that you want to punch or whatever it is. No, 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 no. No, that's not the way. It's gentle what James says. It's peaceable. He goes on to say, it's willing to yield. Wow. It's full of mercy and of good works. And it's without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. When we lower our fists with one another and with God, 
And we instead approach God and one another with open arms, despite our past history toward God and our past history with one another. A transformation takes place that ripples outward beyond just us or beyond just you and the person that you're having that difficulty or beyond just you and God. And it transforms the world. It transforms this little community. It transforms our neighborhoods, our families. It transforms our relationships with our families. It transforms our workplaces and our cities and our state and our nation. It transforms the world. I love what James says. The harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. It's right there in the middle of your scripture on your bulletin this week. I encourage you to take it home. Place that little bulletin up on your dashboard of your car. Meditate. Let the words soak in. And, I, and you might even want to underline those words. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. And any difficulties that you have that you feel like you need to resolve, when you're opening your hands, you're letting go and you're giving them to God. You're saying, God, take this. Take this. I trust that you're a just and fair God and one who will transform the darkness into light. Wow. Isn't God good? Amen. Let's, let's pray. And I welcome the band to come up here. <sighs> My God, we hear you speaking into our hearts, into our lives today, saying that we are a people who need to be released of our bitter envy and our selfish ambition. Wherever that may be, may we be open and honest about that in our lives. And may we recognize the true wisdom and live into the the picture of true wisdom that we've been given today. The true wisdom is pure and it's peaceable, peaceable and it's gentle and willing to yield and full of mercy and good fruits and without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. God, we recognize that you did so much through this, this group of people that you've called the church, that you've made the church through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we also recognize that, that, that we were taught on the outside set from this verse, God, that wisdom comes from above, only from above, that we can't do this by our own power, God, but that we need your power, that it comes down from you, God, the Father of lights, as James says with whom there is no shadow or variation due to change. God, we receive these words of truth that in in fulfillment of your own purposes, we have been given the word of truth which has the power to rescue so that we'd be a first fruits among your people. God, make us your first fruits. So now, Lord, we stand. We stand and worship you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.